Hello everyone and welcome back to the Sin Cinema Snobs. It's very cold out and very rainy and I don't like it. How do you feel about it, Mark? I like cold. I hate rain though. Even though True. I have to get moist shirts. <laughs> even though rain funds my, my dreams. Get literally moist. Exactly. So, um, because Mark and I are adults and we don't always get to go out and see movies, yep. this is going to be an interesting episode because we didn't get to see anything this week. But we but got a good one for next week. We got a good, no good one for next week, and that being said, we always have things to say. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's always something to talk about. <laughs> so great. I figured this week we're going to start off by talking a little bit about the um, 1979 horror film Phantasm because I bought it yesterday on Blu-ray, the remaster. Mm -hmm. It's remastered by uh, Bad Robot Studios, the who J.J. Abrams owns, yeah. owns. And apparently he loved the film growing up, so he wanted to get the rights so they could remaster it. I think that's that's like almost the most... When you told me that today, I was like, this is the most interesting part of the whole thing because I'm a J.J. Abrams fan for the most part. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know we, I've joked in the past about him not sticking landings. Endings are not his strong suit, but we all have that problem as writers. Mm -hmm. uh, not just that one. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Everybody has problems, right? Uh, but I really like the guy. I like what he does. And I think what's so cool about this, I was like, I didn't really... Phantasm is a weird movie. Really so I was kind of shocked because Abrams is like diet Steven Spielberg. Yeah. So, and I don't mean that. I know that sounds like a negative thing. Steven Spielberg is like literally one of the. You know where his influence is for sure. Yeah. So I'm sitting here thinking that he grew up on like Back to the Future, that sort of stuff. And even if you look at Abrams' early script writing stuff when he was still Jeffrey Abrams, Abrams rather before JJ. You kind of get an idea where he's going. So I was just really blown away that he was involved with this. I was like, oh, wow, you like this movie? That, I like you even more now. Liked it that much. Yeah. And I haven't. I, I watched it last night. I have not seen it since I was 14. Mm -hmm. Really did not remember much from it at all. Because that's it's been well over. It's been about 18 years mm -hmm. since I've seen it. Um, so I guess this is sort of like a review slash more of maybe a just a discussion because I have like one kind of interesting point to bring up with it. But uh, I know you've seen the movie, right, Mark? Yep, I have. Do you have in recent memory or just kind yeah, of... So it's a funny story for me. So I had heard about it a lot growing up because like growing up, I watched a lot of horror movies with my mom. Mm -hmm. And it's funny now because I don't really like a lot of horror. And I think it's also though, if you go back historically, if you just go back and look for the greats, it's very easy to do that. But I remember when I was young, but when I, the first movie I remember us really getting into together was Scream when that happened because it was like a cultural phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. And that got her back into the movies. But Scream, I remember, I'll remember this movie. She was like, this is the first horror film I've watched since Phantasm, and Phantasm wrecked me when I came out in the 70s. I was like, wow. So it had, like, for me, early on, it had, like, almost, like, mythical status because the other movie, the other scary movies my mom had recommended to me, like the original Robert Wise, The Haunting and stuff, mm. were all awesome. And so I was just like, oh, man, Phantasm must be crazy. So the first time I saw it, I was a freshman <laughs> in high school, and it was, like, in that weird point of life where I was, like, just kind of getting into film and the depth and things like that, yeah. but still like about five, ten years away from where I think I like I got close to now. And uh, so I remember watching it and kind of being like, this is just so weird. You know, because I was like 13. And like, this is so weird. And then the end scene seals the deal for me. And I was like, oh, it is creepy and weird. And like, it's like surreal. So a few years ago, and the la Anchor Bay a few years back did another remaster re-release on DVD. And it was a big deal. And so... As a joke, my mom has refused to watch this forever, and I went to her house, and I was like, hey, I got the DVD of something I want you to watch. I put it on. She's like, oh, no, 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 no. And then we watched it, and she's like, oh, it's definitely way more weird. And she's like, you know, but you're young, and it was like, at the time, you yeah. think it's like 70s horror. It's very in that regard. So I, I enjoy, it's funny, as I've gotten older, I enjoy it a little bit more. But I, I, I think your and I discussion earlier today should be. I just I'm curious to hear you take the lead on this, and I want I will obviously jump in and not shut up since I'm good at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Phantasm is a 1979 cult classic horror film directed by Don Corsa Coscarelli. Coscarelli. Oh God, I could I never was gonna get that name by myself. Okay. Um, Who does not look anything like what I would assume a guy named Don Coscarelli looks like? He really doesn't. He I looks, was, and he also looks. A billion times younger than he should be because oh yeah he's sixty three does not he looks like and what's early funny 50s. too is you got to think about that if he's sixty three in nineteen seventy nine he was like 
late teens, maybe early 20s. You know what I mean? It like, kind of blew my mind. I was like... But yeah, man, like the, the film industry back then was different yeah. because you didn't like, necessarily need a degree. You, you just, just had to have a vision. You just had to go on set and start talking to people and eventually somebody would be like, oh, you have ideas? Well, hey, can you write those ideas? Oh, you wrote a script? Oh, it looks good. What's your budget? Really cheap? Cool. Here's money. Have fun. And I mean, like, since this came out at the end of 1979, so you're still kind of at the tail end of like the new Hollywood films yep. where they're given a lot of creative control, which is why we see a film like Phantasm, which is really weird. Mm -hmm. Like it does have a lot of the traditional horror tropes, but at the end of by the end of it, it's just a, it's a weird movie. It's it's like it's like. But it's 70s weird, which is my favorite type of weird. Me too. It's got that whole thing. Like I think some people time will talk about the things like dream logic. And the movie definitely has that sort of those moments, right? Where you're like, "Why is he doing this?" And if you, but if you put in your head that it is kind of that like weird dream aesthetic, mm -hmm. it, it, I think it helps make sense a little bit. Like, why did you do this weird thing? You're like, "Well, why do you do anything weird?" Because it's weird, and it's like my, and it's in this weird dreamlike state. Yeah. I think what's also interesting about that era, and uh, pardon me for bringing these two in again, but you guys, guys like Spielberg and Lucas, right? You got to think like what two years before this, we had Star Wars and Jaws. I don't know Jaws's years. That's seventy eight, maybe. It might uh, even maybe. be seventy nine. But, but the point I'm making here is at this point you have two guys who are like indie, kind of like. I don't want to say nobodies because Lucas was just coming off the, the winning Oscars for American Graffiti. Not, I don't think it's best director or anything, but for some screenplay, maybe whatever. The point is, these were this was a time when they were doing, and you're kind of seeing this now in Hollywood, where they were effectively like untested talent in a weird way that had done some cool stuff, but then had a lot of money thrown at them all of a sudden, right? Yeah. And I kind of feel like movies like Phantasm and a lot of other really. Not great films, okay, if you understand what I'm saying, but interesting movies like Phantasm, I think, as we'll come to talk about, you'll see what I mean by this this distinction, but uh, I think because of that, you found a lot of people, like I said, people with vision and weird shit happening, yeah. and it gave opportunities to people that, for a long time, we haven't really seen, right? And you saw it kind of again once Tarantino blew up out of nowhere, and then you got guys like Robert Rodriguez, who then didn't really do anything with it, and like, you know what I'm saying? So, and well, hold on. Well, sorry. Sharkboy Lava Girl. You're gonna tell me he didn't do, Yeah, you didn't tell me he didn't do any. He didn't change the way we look at the cinematic art he form. He changed the way I looked at Sylvester Stallone as an actor in Spy Kids 3D. So and we're kind of in the middle of one of those right now, too. Yeah. Where you're starting to see these like indie directors that are like, it's really weird. It's like you make some little quirky indie comedy, and the next movie you do is Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> I'm exaggerating with the case of Taco with TD because he's been in a bunch of stuff, but you kind of get what I'm getting yeah. at. So what I think is interesting is you see these moments where like it's it's interesting to watch the trends in the industry because you have like these two dudes that kind of came out of nowhere, blow up with like Jaws is like literally one of the biggest blockbusters of all time. Obviously, the same game for Star Wars uh, from again somewhat untested talent. And what then you see as a result is Hollywood then goes, oh my god, who else is out there making these kinds of films that we could throw us? You know, because I. It, Phantasm is obviously sort of low budget, but I would wager it's also not. It's like low budget now, but I would wager that relatively speaking, it's probably not. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's probably more. It like it had a it had a budget of three hundred thousand okay. dollars. I don't know what that would have been like in 1979. It's probably like a million dollar indie or something. Let's just say that. Yeah. But a million dollar indie would. look look good so what's interesting is the effects are good in this it, it looks like it's fairly well made even it, though it's well, campy let's, keep, let's think about this because I looked up Jaws came out in 1975 okay 75 okay the, so that's even earlier the budget for Jaws was 9 million Whew, okay, so, so I bigger. guess it was I mean when you watch Phantasm you could tell this is like sure but you but you know it's not can you imagine pitching that idea to a studio today? No, I can't at all. It so that, and that's what, kind of what I'm getting at. Is that so? Maybe he wasn't getting obviously he wasn't getting nine million dollars to make a movie, but he got a national he got national national distribution on a strange. It's a strange movie, you know. Yeah. Um. Oh God, it's so strange. I love talking about this stuff though because it's good. It's you know you mentioned well, I think earlier. You know, it's it's important to kind of look at the history of film. How, how, not just how were these made, but like what were the forces behind them right. being made? And, and this, yeah. What, what, what did the industry do relative to this and to, you know, shepherd this along? And then, and then what happened? Was this one of those movies that was sort of, you know, exemplary of like the fallout? Like they threw $300,000 at this and at best it was a cult hit. And then they were like, all right, we're not doing that anymore. Back to whatever we were doing that was successful, right? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, where are we at? 
So yeah, when you when you talked about like we both said multiple times, it's a very weird film. For those that haven't seen Phantasm or maybe have heard the name but don't know the general like synopsis, uh, it's pretty simple. It follows two brothers. Their parents have died. One's way older. One's still really young. And one's like cool Greg Brady, and the other one's the little Brady. Yeah. <laughs> like seriously. No I'm joke. Right. That's exactly. What, he's, what, he's like. He's like. Hey, I got like the cool seventies hair. I, I got an car. awesome car. Does he drive like a Trans Am or something else? Super. Yeah. 70s? Everywhere. There's no like. You don't know what he does for work, but he has a nice car. <laughs> Whatever. It's seventies. Uh, you know. It's you just suspend disbelief. But um, at a funeral for one of their friends. The, the son, or not the son, the younger brother sees this kind of like, he gets this evil vibe from the Undertaker that in the movies called the Tall Man. It's this creepy, what is it? Angus Scrim. Angus is Scrim, I love his name too. Um, so in typical kind of like 70s-esque fashion, although I don't think the movie does this trope a lot, it's, what I thought was funny when I was watching it is that it takes movies in the 70s is always about some external force uh, penetrating the the white like middle class bubble. Right. Uh, we see that with Halloween and countless other films. It's funny because in this movie, it doesn't really do that. Yeah. It's more of just like something's going on, and we're kind of a bunch of doofuses. Right. Let's figure this out. And it, like, I don't know, I well, and the, and we should mention too, the tall man's the cor- the town corner. Or the, he works at the morgue. He's like a mortuary guy. Yeah. Because remember, like, when the first time you see him, he's, like, carry, helping carry the casket and glaring at the kid. One of my favorite things about that and, I, and talking about in regards to that trope is that I feel like there are still shades of that invasion thing. But what I like about this is that it's not where I, I agree with you that the other films are about the invasion itself. This movie's set in the aftermath. Like, when this opens, you're like... How long has this guy been doing this? How long has whatever creepy things been going on in this yeah. town and no one thought about it until this young boy notices it at a funeral and is like, something's yeah. off here. And that's what's kind of interesting about this is like since it's, it, it, it really feels like Coscarelli wasn't trying to use that as a theme. Right. And I, I'm so used to seeing it in other horror films sure. that I immediately wanted to place it. Then I was like, oh, I can't. This is really just kind of a goofy movie. I'm sure you could find some deeper themes in it, but it's oh, really yeah. just kind of like an entertain, uh, entertaining, campy film. It's like an and-then thing, too. Oh, uh, yeah, very much so. But I think when you get to the payoff, yes. so without and, spoiling, should we, I mean, this movie's like almost 40 years old. Can no, we spoil I, I think it? I think we can spoil it. Okay, so the I kept mentioning the dream logic earlier then. The whole thing kind of turns out to be a dream, but also it's not a dream, and it seems like it's like the actual manipulation all... by the tall man who has some sort of otherworldly power, extra-dimensional shit. Yeah. So what I always thought was so interesting is that when we get to the end, it's like, oh, your older brother's been dead the whole time. What are you talking about? Why are you acting crazy? And the kid's like, well, maybe this was all a dream. Maybe this never happened. And then when he goes into his room alone to close the door, the tall man's waiting for him. And I was that, to me, was always so effective. Because it was like this weird, like, you kind of never really feel like anything's real. And so the first time I feel like the movie really feels like not very dreamy is when he wakes up and comes downstairs and it's the buddy playing the guitar in the living room. Instead, I was like, wow, that's weird. And then it, then it weirdly feels like safe and normal 70s. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. But we're just going to jam out this, you know, this record by free or whatever. My sweet bald head and ponytail drive my ice cream truck. Gosh. <laughs> so um. weird. <laughs> so, oh, so, so uh, what I was going with the yeah. then thing is because it's a dream, it, it kind of it, it makes sense. You know, going back to that idea of dream logic to me, where it's like, oh, so it doesn't have a traditional narr- narrative structure because it is a dream. I mean, dreams don't have a traditional narrative structure. And I think that's important to what he's trying to do in a weird way. I should probably do more research on this, honestly, because now I'm like getting really curious. And I, I love yeah. speculating, but I'm sure we'll do an episode where we just take an era and kind of deconstruct some of the films. That's a great idea. Oh no, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be fascinating because there's already so much with Phantasm and Phantasm is just kind of like a cult classic film. Yeah. It's not like it did anything super revolutionary. It just yeah. happened to be like Coscarelli was able to take a small budget and make it work. Although right. there are, there are moments where it definitely feels low budget, but that's, that's whatever. It's still entertaining. The one thing I do love about watching older films though, and totally mm-hmm. got this, the vibe with this movie is that, uh, music and how pointed the music and the sound effects always are and how oh, yeah. and how good they are even when they're a little cheesy they're still just so good and intense. They, they feel like right there yeah. the, the, the soundtrack to this movie is great it's not a soundtrack i'd ever like listen to on its own but it goes with every beat so yeah. every weird movement there's like a dum dum like weird noises like that sure. it just it just works and i really miss that 
I mean, we, we do get horror movies nowadays with like a good score or yeah. something or something that's creepy, but I feel like a lot of it ends up sounding the same. I think a lot of filmmakers too have mistaken creating atmosphere and vibes through the sound effects and doing weird things like that with dude, use an orchestra hit and scare them and like doing that, yeah. which is I get it. It does sound like the same thing when I say it. It is not the same thing, though, because creating an atmosphere and a tone and a feel it's something is way different than being like, hey, gotcha. You know what I mean? Loud yeah. noise. Like, it's something that builds. Exactly. And I think most good, obviously, most good horror films will build to something, and there's not always that payoff, sure. which I feel like kind of Phantasm does. It's also kind of funny, like, there's the one scene in Phantasm where the, the younger brother sneaks into like the morgue or whatever and he starts he no, he notices that the, the the tall man has been taking dead people and turning them into like evil dwarves essentially yeah. they look like the jawas from star wars that's all i ever think of they're in the same oh, outfits the, oh, i yeah. almost wonder if they were like just like uh anybody know anybody with like some leftover going, oh, yeah we got a bunch of bullshit leftovers. well i mean like obviously a lot of stuff they, t they took as leftovers because i told you earlier about how at the beginning of the film the little brother goes to meet the old gypsy lady because he has like some stuff. Like I think That's it's right. funny. He's basically using her as a therapist, even though she's a gypsy lady. Right. Um, but she, they steal the opening scene from Dune, not, right. and not just like the movie, but the book. And like then, almost, I, almost, yeah. A, a box appears on the table. The kid puts his hand in it. They keep telling him not to move his hand. He starts to freak out. It's hurting him, and she keeps and saying, like, oh, "Fear is the killer. Fear is the killer." Which sick. in Versus, Dune, fear is the mind killer. Right. Um, I thought that was really cool. The older brother goes to the bar and it's called Dune's Cantina. I don't know what, I guess this dude would just really like to Dune because I don't know how else it like works back into the movie whatsoever. Um, overall, really fun. The remaster on the Blu-ray is beautiful. The sound design is so good. Uh, if you like campy, I, don't, I guess it's a B-movie technically, but it was. it's a B-movie made in an era when B-movies weren't made to be cheeky. They were made, I think ultimately, this is where I would want to go back with Phantasm, it was a movie made on a micro budget and you can tell Coscarelli and his crew and everybody put a lot of heart and soul into it. Yep. You know, it wasn't just like, we want to make something goofy and fun, they really just wanted to make like a good film. Um, that being said, some of the acting falls flat on its face. Sure. And Which I think is, I think, nature. it also kind of adds to the charm in a weird, like yeah. a retro way. In a retro way, again, it really enforces the weird dream vibe of it. Like it's one of those things that if you really think, if you like, think of the movie as a whole, because as you're watching it, I agree, you're like, man, these are performances. But then when you get to the end, you're like, oh, weird. And then think about the way people act in your dreams, where like everything's kind of nonsense and weird and odd. Like th things just happen and you go along with it. Because you're in a dream and you're not thinking. Uh, just a quick thing to throw this out there too. Yeah. Someone, there's a, the 13th floor.tv has done a great write-up on Phantasm is Dune. And there's like all these, and like, these are pretty good. They, they mention the thing and how uh, the fortune teller is the Reverend Mother. Yep. That Mike Pearson, the little, the young boy in this, he's Paul Atreides. And they're apparently saying in the sequels that even more of this stuff shows up and there's like more connections like Paul Atreides with the eye discoloration. Yeah. In later films, apparently Mike starts becoming one with the Phantasm Balls, which by the way, if you guys have not, don't bother with the sequels. A lot of people will tell you Phantasm 2 is good, but those are like weirdo horror fans. It's really camp. They're all, the you have to are, really like camp. Yeah, really yeah. like camp. It's like B-movie. I, I personally don't get into that. I don't find that fun. It's just, it's like too bad for me to really enjoy. Uh, but they're saying later on that Mike's eyes start turning silver in the other films in a similar way. Reggie is Gurney Halleck uh, as a combatant and musician for House of Trades. Damn, this is I, I would not be surprised if there's like a this might be that's hilarious. We, this is something let, let, we should leave them on that uh, and do a little quick station ID. But yeah. I think that I actually think you and I should think about revisiting this in the future about these stories. Of little, I'm like really interested to dive into that now too. Oh man, I'll ask Lindsay because she just finished reading Dune and I've been wanting to read it again. The opening chapter to Dune. It's I've, the great American science fiction novel. Let's be very honest. It really is. It just holds up that first chapter. I could. I've usually I don't reread that book. Once a year, I'll reread the first chapter because so it's like good. the grade A. This is how you write a story. Um, even the, the I'm sorry to keep jumping back to this. Like yeah. even they're pulling images that like line up too. It's kind of wild. And obviously, oh. it's from David Lynch's Dune, but they're obviously based on similar sort of material. Yeah, definitely. Uh, That's the wild. same material. So uh, let's wrap up on Phantasm. We'll do that ID and come back. So I, I, again, I would say 
Personally, I like it. I think it's really weird. I think it's one of those movies that's sort of important. You know? Watching weird films, like if you really like movies, obviously I think you should kind of dive into everything. Same as like if you like really like music, at least to try it. You know, just what I mean? to try You're it. You're allowed to still not like it. Sometimes, but. like watching a weird movie like this, like by the end of it, do I think it's a great film? No, but was I watching it the whole time, thinking, man, they really made that? Yeah, you know, like you had people on on in your crew that were probably like, I don't know exactly what we're doing, and then this comes yeah. out. It was just, it's just fun. And it made it did good business, I think. I think it did. Oh right. yeah, they their budget was three hundred thousand. Uh, box office twelve million. That's awesome. <laughs> that's good for seventies money. It's a crazy return on the investment. And it was obviously super. Um, what's what I'm looking for? Influential yeah. with J.J. Abrams and, and multiple other filmmakers coming out and being like, oh, Phantasm was one of those films I grew up with. That, that was like, like affected me. Yeah, I'm sure it was yeah. uh, the. Uh, double movie drive-in thing plenty of people have seen it um Crazy. yes really fun go check out the remaster and we're going to do a station id when we get back we'll be talking about the new m night Shyamalan film coming out in january that's the sequel to unbreakable Wait, that's coming out in a month in two months i'm pretty sure it said january 2018 that's I, i'm not saying you're wrong i'm just like i can't believe this uh, is i don't know when they started shooting but it's we'll find out during the station id we will be right back with more sin cinema snobs Hey everyone, this is Holland with the Sin Cinema Snobs, your weekly movie review and news show. You're listening to this on Radio Artifact at 1660 AM, also streaming over at RadioArtifact.com. Thanks for listening. All right, and we're back. Um, I have a correction to make. <laughs> the, the Glass, or the Unbreakable Split sequel that Night Shyamalan's producing is not coming out next year. It's 2019, which makes so much more sense now. I, yeah, I, I misread it. Like you said, I was like, I'm I don't like, think we can edit that in two months. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> so I know Mark and I both saw Split. Yep. That came out earlier in 2017. Like, yeah, beginning of 2017. Yeah. Like and, uh, you know, I haven't enjoyed an In Might Shyamalan movie for a while. You know, I kind of thought maybe he had became like essentially almost like a one-hit wonder. Even they yeah. had a few good films, like yeah, really like kind of like fell off. Three, he had those first three that did pretty well. Even though, well, we're going to talk about Unbreakable, but even though for whatever reason people hated that, and it's, his, I think, his best. Oh, it's it's, it's funny because I was just reading a thing where, well, we'll get to it. Sure. So Split comes out, and I remember watching the trailer, like James McAvoy, mm -hmm. so I figured I'd go see it, get to the end of Split. I'm like, wow, and Night Shyamalan's back, I guess. Like, really entertaining. Totally bought into the world and the characters. James McAvoy, you could tell, was having fun with his role. And crushes. And, yeah, completely crushes. And even though the movie did get a little ridiculous by the end, I still was like, oh, it's kind of like a Twilight Zone episode. Like, you know, like, all of his films are kind of like that. It was that, like a but... fun monster movie in a weird way. Yeah. I, I thought it was, I, I, 100%, and I'm assuming that you and, and was... I broke off at the same point with that little coda. Yeah. But yeah, ultimately, super fun flick. And what a lot of people didn't realize until the very end of the movie is that it's in the same universe as his second feature film, Unbreakable. Now, I know Mark and I both really like Unbreakable. It was a deconstruction of superhero movies before you know, we ever had like a, right. tons of superheroes. It literally movies. came out, I was looking this up the other day when we first started talking, is like the first big, big superhero film that like came out around then was X-Men. And that was July 14th, 2000. Unbreakable came out November of that year. Just to give you an idea of how... So, like, the, the superhero genre just kind of was like, we might be able to do this. We that might be like, a thing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, there was no, like, concrete... Yeah, uh, made, seriously, it did, like, a few hundred million dollars, maybe. And that's, like, based on one of Marvel's, at the time, biggest properties. You, gotta, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's crazy to think about. Obviously, so. the film wasn't super well-received at the time. That being said, people have revisited it. There's been articles about... It's, it's, it's importance, especially for In My Shyamalan. Um, and the, the DVD sales, when after that movie came out, were great. Oh, and yeah. like Increased every year. I guess maybe they just did bad with the marketing. So... I think people really... I remember at the time... I'll never forget this because I was in high school and we had a film class. And I remember my teacher not liking it very much. And then being like... There's a twist, but there's not a twist. And I remember everybody after the fifth element... Or fifth element. I wish it was the fifth element. The... Uh, Sixth Sense, <laughs> yeah. rather. Bruce Willis only stars in numbers movie. Fifth Element, Sixth Sense, Twelve Monkeys, Die Hard 3. <laughs> no, but all getting aside. Uh, yeah, so after Sixth Sense with the big twist, I feel like everybody was like, well, where's the twist? And I remember people being mad. I'm like, 
That's like one trip. And honestly, part, personally for me, I always love telling the stories that I was visiting my dad in Pennsylvania at the time. Uh-huh. And I didn't know much about The Sixth Sense except that it was supposed to be like a huge movie. And the Friday it came out, I was I was there the opening weekend it was out. And I should be a little more clear. And my Shyamalan is from, I think, Philadelphia. And we were in Reading, Pennsylvania, which is like 45 minutes away. So it was like one of those that he was like, the, he's still like the local guy. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, local hero. And uh, so they were all like, oh. And I just remember all the news crew like, what a movie. We got to see it last night. It was amazing. And that twist ending, and that ruined, that literally ruined it for me because I'm sure the audience can tell from listening to these episodes, I know story structure and I love studying this kind of thing. So as soon as you tell me something like that, that's equivalent to spoiling the movie. So I'll You have forget. it in the back of your head the whole time, like you're oh, trying yeah. to piece it together. I seriously sat there. I said to my dad, I was like, because you've seen the trailer and I was like okay the kid's a ghost or Bruce Willis is a ghost and then literally the movie opens with Bruce Willis getting shot by Donnie Wahlberg and I was like god damn it <laughs> you know what I mean yep. I like, that's the movie and uh, so it kind of ruined it for me so I like The Sixth Sense but that ruined all those things where I was like because I noticed that I'm like oh he's not nobody's talking to Bruce Willis in this whole film so like the twi- there was no twist so the movie's fine still yeah but it was just not it's funny that you'd mention like, you know, Unbreakable not really having a twist to it. Yeah. Because I feel like M. Night Shyamalan ultimately pigeonholed himself because he does one movie that is a modern American, I guess not super modern now, but an American classic. Yep. And that was the first time as a kid I had ever heard the term twist ending. And yeah. I was a kid, so it's like I, I went down, I sat down to watch it, not trying to piece it together. I'm sure nowadays I would, sure. e- we would easily see something like that. Like, oh, so he does Unbreakable, doesn't really have one, is kind of a financial failure comes back with the village. He did signs next. Uh, no, he did the village then signs. I'm positive that's not the case. Okay, was it which one was next? Was it signs? Or it was. It was signs. Okay, cool. So he did signs, which didn't really have a twist either. I guess. I guess sort of, but the twist is in the first act, where it was like they're aliens. You know what I mean? Oh, I always consider the twist to be more. I have to go back. I've I have not seen signs. God. 12 well, years, 13 I'm not years. allowed to like Mel Gibson anymore, so... True. <laughs> yeah, he, he, got, he got banned from <laughs> Earth. Okay, so, but you were saying The Village. So The Village came out afterwards, and that was like... I think Signs was well-received enough for him to keep working. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. And to get another big-budget cast together. I remember when Signs coming out, everyone liking it. Yeah. But I think if I would have been my age when Signs came out, then... I totally wouldn't have liked it. Yeah. I would have seen a lot of the cheekiness to it, which is funny because sure. when I rewatched it about seven or so years ago, I remember still thinking like, oh, there's still a lot of cute elements to it. Like there's a lot of stuff in that movie I like. Yeah. Like, I like Mel Gibson as, as the father figure. Uh, little, little Culkin as the boy. Like every, it's pretty cute. Joaquin Phoenix is cute in his little part too, which is like a weird sentence to say about Joaquin Phoenix. But, but his character is like kind of cute with the kids. Yeah. You know? But with him that Shyamalan kind of, I mean, before memes existing becoming a meme with the what a twist and everybody expecting a twist out of his movies, yeah. I would guess that's where he falters with The Village, which is funny because I rewatched that a few weeks ago and I do still think it's kind of underrated. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's perfect. Yeah, I don't know why people... I, I think that that's a movie that I feel like could be remade and be remade super well. Sure. There's a lot of weird stuff in The Village that I thought was like... The Village has like, so much good... The twist is really for me what kind of ruins it. I think Two for fold. me, okay. yeah, I think I think for me what I always get bummed about is I don't really have a problem with the twist because for me it's not the fact that they were like making the Adrian Brody who plays the mentally retarded right. character right having him be the monster out in the woods. It was the fact that, and I remember thinking this, this is one of the first thoughts I had as a, a kid where mm. I was like that it's not creepy that they're doing that to him. It's creepy that they'd be willing to keep their families um, subjugated to like almost like because, like because of their own abuse. Yeah. Their like own, Stockholm syndrome yeah. Essentially because of their own internal f- fears of the outside world. But right. I was like, wow, that's messed up. It's, you know, it's you know? a great idea. And they obviously like reap what they sow. Sure. In the end. I think, I think the moment that killed it for me watching it. And it's interesting because it's like a testament to the power of visual imagery. And I'll never forget this moment in the theaters. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing it and it's twofold a problem because a, he's also obviously in love with himself because in Lady in the Water, he literally writes himself in as God, right? Because he's like the screenwriter oh. that's right. It's sta- I, I never, watch, I, I never finished it. I, hate, I hated every moment of it. Yeah. But he kind of does the same thing in the village where he's like the the park ranger or whatever that runs into 
Bryce Dallas Howard that's all like, oh, this is what's going on. I'm not a very good actor, but I'm getting to deliver like all of the important information. <laughs> Which I thought was dope. But the, what I was going to say before is like the scene, so they have that cool montage of William Hurt telling, like revealing like, here's the truth. Intercut with Bryce Dallas Howard running off the village escaping. Yeah. And her being chased by the Adrian Brody monster. The pro- And it's weird because they have this beautiful shot where it's of her. And then you get like the rack focus and then you reveal the monster. I remember my hair standing up on end being like, wow, that's creepy. And then like as I'm having that thought, I'm like, no, no, that's cheap. Because you literally just told me that's Adrian Brody in a, in a cape. That's not scary. And then I was like, no, that's not, not scary. And then he like falls into a ditch and dies or whatever. Yeah. And I was just sort of like, ugh. That said, I I do agree with you, and I'm sure if I rewatched it, I'd probably feel a little bit better. I totally agree now. with you now because when I rewatched, and I was falling, I was in and out of sleep while it was on TV. Sure. But um, the whole time, because I knew that he was that character, I kept all I kept thinking is I was like, you guys wouldn't have somebody that isn't mentally retarded do this. Like I don't. Yeah, what? I almost wonder why they did that. Pro- there was probably a reason, and I totally missed it because it's not a like I put it on just to put it on, sure. not really to, and, like, to not to truly enough. watch it. I understand. Um, any, you know, tangents aside with the village, uh, he has a string of horrible movies, like literally one after the other after the other. He has Lady in the Water, The Happening, Avatar, The Last, Airbender The, the Last movie. Airbender. He produced that Devil movie After Earth, which the Devil Bomb. And get bad reviews. I'm pretty sure it got bad reviews. I remember. I remember. Getting I don't know. If, I don't know if it bombed. I remember working at the movie theater when it was out, and I, I that's did not it. hate it anywhere. I remember. Maybe it was because I had such low expectations, but based on everything, but I remember watching it on Netflix once and being like, "This is actually kind of a cool concept." Done by it like says somebody. right here. It says critics praise the film's atmosphere and performances, but criticize the short running time and convoluted story. Um, I, I, and I, I would agree with that for the most part. It, I would I would almost tell you to check that out again. It's like I, I think, especially in a world where most horror movies are literally like unwatchable trash. In my yeah. opinion, that was totally fun, watchable. I like. It's got a weird little twist in it, and I always love those movies that are mostly set in one location. Like literally, like ninety percent of the movie takes place in an elevator. Yeah, I think that's cool, and I always think it's interesting when like people get to do that. That said, two thousand thirteen, he puts out After Earth. Which he wouldn't relieve. Like there was no M Night Shyamalan's After Earth. Right. I remember seeing the trailer for that, as well as seeing the art at like the movie theater, like the yeah. big like cardboard cutouts. Just big pictures. Of I didn't know it was him until I saw down at the bottom, written and directed by M Night Shyamalan. Yep. So I really thought that was going to be his last movie. Then he releases The Visit, which I know is very polarized because I I love found footage movies. It mm-hmm. is my ultimate guilty pleasure, and I realize that most of them are complete. Dog shit. Sure. That being said, I really didn't like the village. Or not the village. The, the, visit. The, the visit. I had so many problems with almost everything in that film. I, we could do a whole episode on that where I just take, I deconstruct it down to the bare bones because it irritates me. It's one of those things where I think, I remember when we talked about it when it came out, and I th- this was my fear about it. And I remember you saying something to the effect of it shouldn't be a found footage movie. Like, it's one of those things that it they, it's have. like they weird, like, I, I almost feel like he had a one last shot. And he's like, oh, what's popular? It's found footage. Well, that being, it's found footage. Yep. And I remember you telling me things like there are certain moments in the film where it was like very like too on the nose. It's like, oh, there's someone's coming at me with a knife. I better go grab my camera first. Like those kinds of like dumb, illogical moves. And you remember what this I will I will loop back. But when The Happening came out, he tried to backpedal and be like, it's supposed to be a B movie. It's yeah. supposed to be cheesy. The That's vi- why I cast Mark Wahlberg, okay? I just want to be a plan, okay? <laughs> and it was obvious to everybody that it wasn't meant to be that way. He just did not know how to handle the tone of that film. And, he, and Mark Wahlberg was... I think if you had a the really solid miss- lead... Yeah. Dude, that scene where he's like... I love that scene where the older woman... He's staying at some older lady's house. She's like... You're here to kill me, and she—it's like she's creepy and terrifying. It keeps cutting back to Mark Wahlberg doing like a daddy's home or whatever the crap is he's in right now. No, I'm not here to kill you. Okay. I hear you whispering, planning on stealing something. No, ma'am, we're not. Plan on murdering me in my sleep. What? No. No, I just want my family to get some sleep, all right? Yeah. And she's like, it's a, so weird. It's like literally watching two different movies spliced together. It's like, yeah, really awkward and stilted. The visit is kind of cheesy and like campy. Mm-hmm. And you can tell we did it on purpose. Mm-hmm. And I know I had a lot of friends that loved the visit. They thought mm-hmm. it was like a, a good black comedy. 
and I don't mind that element. I just don't think it was handled well. Sure. Um, he's but, a little tone deaf. I think he's a little too self-important, honestly. Yeah. But that being said, The Visit did well. Like, for the most part, it got good reviews. Yeah. Most of the people I know that saw it really liked it. And I'm, uh, I'm going to always be overly critical on found f- footage films. Sure. Because when because you, you, because you, when you get a good one, yeah. oh, there's so much thought put into them. Anyways. So, 2016, um, he releases Split. And it and does well, too, if I'm not mistaken. does really well. Yeah. It gets good reviews. Yep. Majority of people I know that saw it really liked it. Dude, I had a block. It literally- I, I went in thinking I was going to hate it, too. Yeah. I, went, I went in thinking, oh, let's see how bad this gets. Right. Um, and then in 2019, he'll have Glass coming out. So now that we've like went through our thoughts on his films, the train wrecks they were, mm-hmm. him kind of coming back with the visit and split, let's talk about him making a trilogy it's like with unbreakable he originally wanted to incorporate the main character from split he's played by james malcavoy mm-hmm. guy who has multiple personality disorder yeah, he calls himself the horde because he's like he has like 12 different years i mean 20 something i thought 27 i can't remember Whatever, he has a ton of person number <laughs> a large number of personalities and they start to manifest themselves but actually changing his physical composition right and uh, which is very interesting very that when i say that movie felt like a twilight zone episode to me towards the end when that happens is when i felt kind of like twilight zone when you kind of realize that they're like at at once you're both right about this being a movie about mental illness it's also about he might have superpowers yeah which i thought was kind of awesome i think that's like i did too the big problem and spoiler alert, turn this off if you want to watch Split, whatever. Actually, you know what? No, you should just do yourself a favor. You already know they're connected, when so it doesn't matter what we When the scene say. happens that you see James McAvoy for the last and it like goes to fade to black or whatever, before the, you'll see it. As soon as you see a shot of a diner and a newsreel playing, just turn the movie off. Well, just turn it off. What my girlfriend Caitlin said as a joke is when we got to the end of the film, there's the last scene with James McAvoy and he runs off and then... Uh, in big impact font on the screen, it flashes split, and then credits roll for a second, and then it gets to that like little after oh, scene. I didn't remember that. I'm pretty sure, that. like like yeah. she, like she said, they threw the the, the title up on the screen because they want you to split from the theater before you have to see that stupid scene. Yeah. Oh, that's um, it, it's like this, poorly shot. It looks like they it was clearly like second unit, and they were like last minute, like uh. I, I, you know what I'm willing to bet? I'm willing to bet he pitched it as a sequel and they were like, no, do it by itself. He's like, well, I'll do this movie anyway. But then when they were probably, the studio's probably watching this stuff and he's like, I'm telling you, I think this will work. And then they saw it, the movie was good. They were like, yeah, go ahead and tack the scene in. And it was, of course, like, it's like anytime uh, somebody gives M. Night Shyamalan leeway, he makes something terrible. Yeah, give him it's, an inch, he takes a mile. It's, it's, the, it's the age-old thing. I think you and I talk about this all the time. Anybody, any creative left unchecked will ultimately make trash. Ultimately. Think about it. They'll that. eventually get to... And it's, it, it is funny when we Creativity say... Creativity comes out of strife, man. Like, that's why people are depressed. A lot of creatives and musicians, you see it all the time. They're addicts and all this stuff. We're working on something in our lives, right? So it's just really interesting to see that when you give these people... I mean, seriously, look at, like, After Signs, because M. Night, like, blew up and was, like, the next big thing, right? I remember those people being, like, Spielberg and Hitchcock. Yeah, they were like, he's 50-50, and that's who he is. And then Unbreakable Unbreakable comes out, and it's really great, and people are like, no, this is stupid. They definitely, they wanted wanted the Sixth Sense 2.0, which which happens with a lot of directors. Sure, and that's that's okay. And then, obviously, in Revisiting, they liked it. And then he came back with Signs, which is just a little bit more of a regular movie. And people like that again. So it was enough for him to be like, okay, your first three movies have done pretty well, ultimately. And they haven't been like huge financial losses or anything like that. Do whatever you want. And The Village was like the first time I feel like he was like, the reins were let pretty loose. Can you? I can't imagine an actual movie studio checking on that stuff would let an act, a director who can't act deliver one of the most emotionally important scenes in the film. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Especially because the M. Night Shyamalan cameos are so stupid. The way he films his cameos, it's like you got a really big stunt. Because you'd think those roles are like clearly written for somebody huge almost, right? Like mm-hmm. that's like the vibe. I always thought that was weird. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get too off. Oh, no, you're there. good. I just think this whole thing is stupid. I don't mind, uh, personally speaking, I don't mind them being connected, right? I love Unbreak- Unbreakable. I don't inherently hate that idea. I hate the way it's been handled so far, making me think that ultimately I am going to hate this idea. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think the reason I hate it is because I remember 
Well, one, it ruined Split for me. Sure. Because I got to the end of Split and I was like, wow, that was like a good two hour fun little romp. I don't want more of that character. I do not personally give two shits about this character yeah. at all. Um, kind of the same, and when, I, when I say the same with Unbreakable, I say the same in terms of like, I love that as a standalone film. Yeah. I don't under, yeah, he's not trying to do some extended Marvel Cinematic Universe. But he might be though, that's the thing. My, my, the, I, have so, I, have a, I have a lot of problems with it. One, Hitchcock at one point coined the term like a cinematic abuse of power, mm -hmm. which when Hitchcock talks about it, he's referencing well, this is why we shouldn't have little kids get killed on screen. That's a cinematic abuse of power. Right. I'm going to reappropriate the term for M. Night Shyamalan. I think it's a cinematic abuse of power to, I understand that when he, when he made Unbreakable, he wanted it, he wanted to incorporate all these characters from Split. He wanted that universe. The studio was like, uh, no. Yeah, by the way. Tone it down. By the way, before Unbreakable came out, he it was pitched as a trilogy. So I don't know if that came up at all in your research. But it, I remember, it did. Yeah, and I'm thinking like, wow. That, that's, that might have been interesting-ish. It might have been interesting if he would have been able to make it back then, but right he couldn't. I don't, and this is what really confuses me and why, it, once again, I think it's kind of a cinematic abuse of power, is that Unbreakable came out at the beginning of the 2000s. It was literally in 2000, I think, right? I think so. Yeah. Why does he think that anybody wants a sequel to it? Here's like, the, wh where does his mind go where he's like, people must be, and I'm not saying that he thinks this, I, I'm saying it mostly because it irritates me. Yeah. Does he think we're pining to see this character again? Well, and here's the other you question know? is, what movie is he making? Because here's my problem with it. What works about Unbreakable is that it's not, a, it's not the Avengers, right? It's like literally not making fun but it's definitely like tearing apart and being, it, it's, it is not, it is like if you could show people this movie that hates superhero movies because it, it they is. They might not this, even watch it and think it's a superhero film. It, you, yeah, if you you're know? not thinking about that, you might not get that at the end. I'd be like, oh, you didn't notice he's like in an all green kind of superhero costume. Like that's his outfit. Mr. Glass. Like he's it like in totally like alludes to it the whole Absolutely. time. Absolutely. And so like once you start picking it up, you're like, oh crap, there's like a whole extra layer here. But my point is with this sequel, it's just going to be an Avengers movie. I, I, I Within reason, right? It's yeah. just going to be super-powered David Dunn, Bruce Willis, chasing down super-powered James McAvoy. I can't imagine that... By the way, please tell me I'm wrong, M. Night Shyamalan, but the fact that this is getting released in January of 2019 means that is not... If This is not some deconstruction of the superhero genre. They do not have faith in it because it's coming out in January. In January, yeah. it's probably going to be low budget. Let's. Be I'm actually honest. surprised they have it coming out in January, mostly because Split did so well. Which is a good you point, know. and that might be why too. I, I mean, that's a whole other discussion because I think movie release times are super dumb, and you can have a blockbuster anytime if it's good. Like you can release a good movie anytime, and it might not make as much, but it will do well still. You know. Yeah. So I think that ultimately already, I feel like there's not a lot of confidence. And even though Split was a hit, I still don't think whoever's back, you know, financing this probably still not back in the truck up to his house. Yeah. So I and and let's be honest, when was the last time you cared about something Bruce Willis did? Truly, like yeah, he hasn't done anything. No, amazing and I hear, I hear he just keeps getting more and more difficult to work with, which is disappointing. He shot some of the, He shot a couple of movies here and. I haven't really heard anything overtly friendly about him. Not any, anything overtly negative either, but I haven't worked with anybody like that. You know? But yeah. I think it's interesting that it's like he's doing like worse work. He's getting less and less worse. I mean, Bruce Willis is like a direct-to-DVD guy now. You know, uh, what, What's the next theatrical thing he has? Uh, Dumpster Fire, Eli Roth's next movie. What's that? The remake of uh, Death Wish. Death Wish. God. Which again, Eli Roth, another guy that's like doesn't understand tone or nuance, or I hate Eli Roth. I could do movies. a whole, I could do a whole episode on how I hate the Green. The fact that he, so much. the fact that he remade his own movie ten years later with the same script, it kind of says a lot to me about who he is as a person. He's, Cabin, Cabin he's, Fever, he's a hack. He's, he's a complete hack. He made one. He made one halfway decent film, Cabin yep. Fever, which and he's just boys with Tarantino. That's, That's it. all it comes down to. Yeah, I always think it's funny with like how much Tarantino loves movies. He sure does back a lot of shitty crappy ones. ones. Yeah, and the thing is, like back in the day when he was pushing dudes like Robert Rodriguez, Robert Rodriguez could have probably done something, and a couple of his movies were interesting, but then they stopped being real uh, interesting. Oh, uh, he's an auteur, dude. Like yeah. he uses a lot of green screen, so he's obviously an auteur. Yeah. Whatever. Dude, um, Sin City was a fluke. Did you try watching that sequel? It was a nightmare. The second one? Yeah. No, I never, I never bothered. I dare you to. Because so I, I, I do still have a soft spot for the first Sin City. Oh, I love the first Sin City. I think, dude, we talked about this. I love 
Robert Rodriguez should be one of those like high level C B tier directors in my opinion because movies like From Dust to Dawn is awesome. Like he makes good use of a budget. He knows how to direct actors. Even in his crappy movies, their actors are usually doing a good job. You know what I mean? Yeah. He just has a lot of other weird aesthetic choices I just don't personally get into, okay? But I don't know. I Sin City's another one that's great and it works and I think that helps that the source material is great. But anyway. Yeah. Before we uh uh, wrap this up and like just kind of do our like little into the show thing mm-hmm. though we're going back to the the new Shyamalan movie glass uh and i i, I kind of been saying before like who's pining for this why why do this now yeah i think the one thing that goes to my head and i'm obviously not a movie producer and i don't think about money when it comes to films sure. but who's the audience for this because me and you who saw Unbreakable when we were young. 16 years or 17 years ago now. Yeah, when we were younger, loved it. We liked Split, but I can't imagine any kids nowadays have seen Unbreakable. Yeah. Like, Unbreakable's not the cultural phenomenon that the Sixth Sense is. Let's be really honest. People don't want good movies anymore, dude. They want, like, dumb stuff that doesn't, like... The Thor thing is really still getting to me, okay, from last week, because I'm just like, that's like kind of a great example. It's like a fun, light romp. It doesn't mean anything. There's no substance to it. They literally did a total 180-degree turn on a character that they were just like, uh, these movies aren't working. Maybe we should, like, try to work on them instead. They were just like, eh, let's just, like, toss everything out and start over, right? The thing is, though, with this, I wouldn't even, I don't... Yeah, people want dumb stuff, obviously. Because they just want easy stuff. So I guess what well, I'm this isn't at, easy though. This doesn't make any sense. Well, and, that's, that's why I, and that's kind of why I'm going back to. I don't think we're getting an Unbreakable, if that makes sense. Like we're not. I don't think we're going to get some like nuanced, interesting movie that has something to say about the superhero genre. Do you think? Do you think this one at even? I think this is going to be split with Bruce Willis as a cop character, effectively. That's like what I'm thinking. Is that the movie? I'm assuming is just going to be James McAvoy killing or capturing people, and Bruce Willis is the guy tasked with finding. Him. I don't find that to be an interesting. I don't. That sounds like that sounds like a movie that doesn't need to be a sequel to any of them. That just sounds like a spec script, you know. Yeah. If it was a sequel, they shouldn't have made Split, and they should have just had like Unbreakable Two come out, which obviously couldn't have happened right. because you didn't, they didn't make enough money. Yeah. And what, 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 to me, what was so see the thing here's the other problem that makes this kind of a disconnect. Now I understand that Bruce Willis having superpowers in the first place, and he's not superpower, but he's just stronger than average and pretty much impervious to harm which is weird but the villains so far have been very grand like samuel jackson doesn't have a superpower he just has money and he's broken and he's just a he has a brain he's like a super brain he's like a crazy person yeah so mcavoy being like a beast monster scary thing whatever just again works in split right because the whole point is like oh it's just mental illness and then there's spoiler you're like, oh shit, he might actually be a monster. So I guess, I guess that's it. I'm just, I'm with There's you like a totally. weird, yeah, there's like these weird levels to like how weird, like these small levels of how weird can you get with it. Whereas yeah. Unbreakable, yeah, it's a little weird, but there's this weird grounded sense of reality. Yep. Whereas in Split, by the end of it, you're like, oh, this is crazy. Oh, you definitely got like a little crazy. And that's fine. Because yeah. it still feels a little grounded, but you know, when you see him crawling us. up a wall to avoid like, yeah. Shotgun blast and his arms shifting and changing and being weird and like yeah that oh for dude one hundred percent agree so I'm just uh, I'm with you I don't I also don't know who the audience is because the thing is I I would watch a follow up to Unbreakable if you have something to say about the superhero genre yeah because that's what it should be about right or at least I feel like that's the point and it's weird it's funny too because you'd think with people like us who like uh, you obviously have way more superhero fatigue than I do because I don't even watch the movies right. it'd be like oh. This could be the time to release that and really make an interesting statement. But it's not going to be that. It's going to be. I think it's, it's going to be a low budget movie. It's going to be like just above direct to DVD. You know what? It's going to be like. It's going to be low budget Shyamalan. It's going to be Bruce Willis, who obviously hasn't cared about his job in like fifteen years. Yeah. It's going to be James McAvoy, who will just outshine everybody in the movie because he's great and everything he and does. Obviously, and he's still young and cares. Yeah. You know, and Bruce Willis <laughs> well, doesn't care. Bruce Willis is. I have to assume Bruce Willis at this point is like. I can just get I can just get steady paychecks. I don't care anymore. I don't have to make something. Great. Or because Shyamalan's wanted to do this for so long, it completely like blindsides us. And we're like, wow, that was actually excellent. Who knows? Maybe he does have a vi- he's had this vision for so long, and he's like, oh, I can, this is it. I can make it happen. Uh, Until I and I don't know. Part of me doesn't even want to read any sort of leaked plot points for it or anything. Yeah. I'm not I'm not excited. 
I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic and interested to follow it. Yeah. I will see it because I'm with you. I do. I want to be. Holland, every week I think about this, and every time I say something negative about movies, people are like, you just want to hate everything. I'm like, actually, all of this critique is coming from I want to love everything. And I find it that increasingly difficult to find people who want to put effort into creating great things and people who want great things. And I find that in general, I feel like the audience is getting more and more complacent. I mean, you can say this for almost every walk of life, even unrelated to media, but they're just like, when I complained about Thor, I was like, why is he a different character all of a sudden? Like, oh, dude, it's fine. It's fine. It's fun. Let it go. I hate that. You know, I hate that. And I, sometimes fun movies should be fun. But I don't know. I think it's a like weird push and pull. Like, if you're going to create this huge universe, stick to your own rules. And then if you're not going to do that, don't do that. Stay alone. I don't know. All of it's a mess, and I'm kind of just tired of it all. And this is from somebody who literally... I'm only here talking to you about movies. I only bothered to ever learn about movies because I loved Empire Strikes Back and because I loved reading Marvel comics when I was a kid. That's the reality. So to see all this stuff be like average and just at best consumable sucks, dude. It sucks. Yeah. It's depressing. You know? Mm -hmm. What a good note for me to leave this episode on, huh? For real. This is how sad I am about everything. Oh, here's, here's a good idea, audience. Email us at sincinemasnobs at gmail. So C-I-N. C-I-N-E-M-A-S-N-O-B-S at Gmail. And let us know what you think about this new M. Night Shyamalan movie. Yeah. Uh, and if you email us, we'll read it on air and we'll respond to you. We'll and, do it anonymously. Yeah, we'll do it anonymously. anonymously Unless or, you state otherwise. Or give yourself a really funny name. Yeah. Or, or we'll give you a funny name. That would be good. <laughs> um, also, let us know what you'd want to well, what you'd want to hear covered. Yeah. On the podcast, because you know we want to keep up with movies. We want to see movies. We're not going to be able to every week. Of course, I'm it's sure just we'll just, not. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Uh, along those lines, should we tell them what we're looking at next week and get them hyped? What are we looking at next week? Because you missed the disaster it. artist. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so we'll be seeing the disaster <laughs> artist. I totally. For, I told when you mentioned it at the beginning of the episode, I was like. Yeah, I guess we do have something we're seeing. I could not remember. <laughs> so yeah, we'll have a review for the Disaster Artist. And I should mention, our episode technically will be airing right at prime Thanksgiving time, five Thursday, 5 p.m. But that being said, we will have this up on Google Play Music soon, iTunes. We have a SoundCloud page right now, which is Sin Cinema Snobs. I believe RadioArtifact.com also archives and has our old I think they do. I, need to, I believe I need to talk to somebody about putting those up Just on there. Just make sure they're on there. Yeah, I, I know that, they've been working on that, if nothing yeah, else. But so you, maybe don't if you can't catch us... At Thursdays at 5, you can definitely listen to the episodes later online. Please follow us on those. And I'm sure by next week we'll have all the other podcast mediums up and running. Yeah. But until then, enjoy all the rest of the great shows over at Radio Artifact. It's 1660 AM. RadioArtifact.com. There we go. Streaming at on the TuneIn application on Android and iOS. Just search Radio Artifact. You'll find our uh, wild culture on there. So and make sure to check out Mark's show, the weekly hookup. Uh, that's Fridays at 5 p.m. Also on Radio yep. Artifact. Very fun. Him and Mike Robinson kill it every week. They uh, kill things. They also kill things. Also, Mark does a little video thing on YouTube where he'll, he'll take uh, new segments and kind of riff on them. Also really part of the weekly hookup. It's kind also, of like, I joke, it's, it's like, like the a, same name. It's like the, the subsidiary short, area. Yeah, it. I joke, it's like the four minute teaser version. It's way, it's usually way more ridiculous. Way more ridiculous. Really produced fun. Produced by Holland. True. I, I produced that. It's really fun. You make sure you go check that out on Facebook under what, The Mark? It's, yeah, if you go to facebook.com slash The Mark Show, it'll pop up as The Mark. You'll see a cute little cartoon drawing on my face or youtube.com slash The Mark. Hit that like button and uh, we'll smash see. Smash it. Yeah, smash it. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Great. Bye.